Welcome back to Engage Arizona. This is Kathy Herod. Today, we will pick up right where we left off with our conversation with Joe Dallas, a respected author, speaker, and pastoral counselor. Joe has joined us to discuss the biblical responses to the pressing concerns of human sexuality, ranging from homosexuality to transgenderism. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk more about the church as a whole and, and what we're seeing in the church. And I know that you, you even say on your website, again, that's joedallas.com, that one of the greatest challenges for pastors, ministry leaders today is how to minister to people that are impacted by homosexuality. Oh, yeah. So how do, you know, what do you say to pastors and those, whether it's um, same-sex attraction, transgenderism, how does, the, how does the church need to be handling this as the, as the body of Christ? Well, we need to, of course, look at, again, each situation in its uniqueness. We deal with people within the church who are wrestling with same-sex temptations, and they need our help to live godly lives. We walk alongside them as disciples. We shepherd them just like a pastor would shepherd anybody who's got a struggle between the flesh and the spirit, you see. And we encourage, and and uh, I always say, my gosh, it, it's basic discipleship 101. If you've got somebody in your church who is struggling, now let me clarify, struggling with these desires is not the same as saying, I'm gay and I'm out. That's not a struggle. That's a declaration. But there are many people in the church who struggle. And again, we want them to be part of the church community. We want them to thrive. I would say to them the same thing my friends said to me when I repented. They said, Joe, we're not going to ask of you anything you're, that we're not doing ourselves. You've got your struggles. We've got ours. In fact, a very important thing they said to me, we may not relate to your struggle, but we relate to struggle. We get it. Therefore, be in the word daily. Develop your prayer life. Draw close to God, because ultimately, this is an obedience issue. You've got to be basically doing what Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. Um, and be part of the church. Be accountable. Be honest. Those are all things that a pastor can can basically walk a person through if they're a part of this. By the way, I'm I'm being so brief on all of this, but uh, I do have an, uh, a seminar I do and a monthly online seminar called The Challenge for pastors who want to know more about how to minister um, in, in the, these different ways when somebody is dealing with this. To people who, now a large part of the church that's affected by this, Kathy, is parents. We got a ton of parents in the church who have sons or daughters who come out to them as trans or as as gay or lesbian. And uh, we want to be with them in their grief process because that's what it is. They're grieving the loss of their assumptions. They assumed that their kids' lives would go a certain way, and now they're going a different way. And you think about that, that's pretty shattering. You know, like, like John said, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Well, the opposite is true. We, as parents, we've got no greater fear than to hear our children are not walking in truth. So we've got parents in a lot of pain, and we need to weep with those who weep and, and to encourage them and, and again, to be resourced to them in their grief process and remind them of the stories of people like myself. And, oh, this is an old story, you know, taken back to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, where Paul said homosexuals won't inherit the kingdom. Such were past tense, some of you. So it's an old story. We, of course, need to speak to our young people because here we've got pretty much the first generation that was raised in a pro-gay environment. So we can't assume that in our churches, our young people share our position. It can be a real eye-opener to find out that they don't necessarily share it because they don't see the rationale. 
we have to teach our young people to take a biblical position, a biblical worldview, and apply it to the human experience. So we need to train them better in looking at things through a biblical grid, not just a relational grid. And that's a big, by the way, problem we've got today. We've, we've pretty much taken the first commandment, love the Lord your God first, and the second like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And we basically said, let's just concentrate on loving my neighbor. Well, if I take God out of the equation, I can't love my neighbor properly because I won't give my neighbor what he really needs. If I'm not loving God and obeying him, I won't know what to give my neighbor. If I love God, then I will want my neighbor to be right with God, and all the ways I love my neighbor will be towards that end. So those are all, I think, issues that are, are vital to the church today when we're talking about how do we respond to uh, to this issue. You see pastors and churches being, I mean, at times I felt that, or I've questioned how many pastors from the pulpit are really discipling their people on these issues, um, that they're reluctant to speak to the social issues because the church may be divided, uh, and it, whether they're doing expository preaching or, or however they may be, that what, you know, what, um, what are you seeing? And let me just mention before you answer, if um, a listener has a question, you can put it in the Q&A box and we will do our best to, to, re to um, go through the questions. Yeah, well, you know, I do a weekly podcast called Christians in a Cancel Culture, and this month we're doing a four-part series on that very thing. My last, uh, my podcast just from this past Friday was on the point that we're scared. We're scared. Uh, you might have read the Barna survey that came out a, a few years ago, Kathy. He found that fifty, up, up to about 50% of the pastors surveyed admitted they were afraid to speak on social issues. And the top issue that they feared, you guessed it, this one. This was the most fearful to them. And, and I don't think that this is just because we're all a bunch of wimps. I don't think it's that simple. I think we've got a somewhat distorted idea of what our role is in the world, you see. Um, somewhere along the line, we shifted into thinking that we should be user-friendly and um, seeker-friendly and kind of vague about things so that everybody feels comfortable in our churches and we're all getting along. Now, in a way, I like the attitude that says, let's get along. I do like that. Um, but think about it if you compare it to a doctor, if I go to a doctor, I expect to be respected. I mean, if I walk in there and he says, hello, you ugly old man, I'm out of there. I'm, I'm not going back to him. The bedside manner is very important. So we expect that from a doctor, good bedside manner. But that's that's not all there is, is there? There are two other things I've got to have. I've got to have a diagnosis and I've got to have a treatment plan. If there's something wrong with me, I need to know what it is. And if there's something wrong with me, I need to know what to do about it. And if I don't get those two from him, diagnosis and treatment plan, he didn't do his job. So if he only has bedside manner and makes me feel good, and I feel good and I like him and we get along and then I die, no, that's not a success story. And this is where I think in the church, we've got the idea that if what we say creates tension, we must have said the wrong thing. For heaven's sake, the, the book of Acts is full of tension, isn't it? And that's not because the early believers were trying to make tension. It's just that truth brings tension. That will happen. But uh, tension, I often say, is the labor pain of rebirth, like I mentioned earlier. And, and it's so true. When truth collides with error, there's going to be tension. 
And hopefully the person will respond to that conviction, that tension in a redemptive way. Now, they won't always. So, yeah, if you take a biblical position on this, there's a good chance you'll lose people. You'll be opposed. People will misunderstand you. It will not be popular. But then we have to ask ourselves now, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ as pastors, what do we want him to say? Well done, thou, thou, um, what, thou diplomatic person who got along with everybody. Or well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because our faithfulness is really the issue more than the response we get. I hope we can keep that in mind. We're going to need to, I think, in the coming years. Well, um, we hear the term same-sex attracted. And I think some um, have, um, I think, kind of almost discounted that term or thought that that being same-sex attracted was the same as someone who was an active homosexual. I mean, we've, um, you know, we've heard from the people like Sam Albury um, in the past, but but go into that a little bit about same-sex attracted and how the church should be responding to those who are, are brave and courageous enough to share with someone that I, I'm feeling that that same-sex attraction and what what that means. Well. Let me make it personal, Kathy. I'm not going to blame the church for the sin in my life. I made the decision to embrace those feelings. But I will tell you this. If I had had in 1978 what you just described, if I'd had the ability to go to my church and say, I have these feelings. I don't want these feelings, but they are there. Help me. What can I do about them? There's a very good chance the whole dark turn my life took would never have been taken. We could abort so many tragedies if we make it safe in the church for people to confess a temptation before the temptation turns into a decision. You see? That's not just this issue. That's the married woman who's falling in love with another man, you know, or the teenagers who are contemplating a sexual relationship. I mean, we need to make it safe for people to say, I have these feelings, these desires, these temptations. Help me to deal with them. So like James said, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another, you know, critical point in all of this. And that's just, you know, it makes me think of a woman who has had an abortion and who is, um, uh, you know, dealing with shame, but doesn't feel like she can go to the, the church and get counseling or get help on on, on getting healing. I mean, it's, it's all of that, that we have to be, you know, we've got to get away from this. Um, if people don't feel like that the church is welcoming and open to come in and right. share these struggles. That I think that they, they, we see some signs that the church is changing, but but people need to really feel that openness. Yeah, and and you know, I like your, the words you're choosing, Kathy, because openness doesn't mean affirming. Right. A lot of people falsely accuse the church of not being open to people because the church doesn't affirm certain behaviors. That's not fair. But we should be open to anybody who wants to confess whatever their struggles are, absolutely. And we're really open to anyone. We are open. But that doesn't mean we affirm all behaviors. And, and this is where I want the church to be all the more opening, open, I should say, but never affirming of what God forbids. Well, um, let's take two scenarios. You know, the individual who is a professing believer and is saying they're gay. And then the person that is not a professing believer is not a believer at all and is gay. I mean, what what, what are the different approaches and how you respond to those two individuals, to the believer and to the non-believer? Sure. Hey, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, well, let's look at two biblical examples, okay? The Samaritan woman and the member of the Corinthian church who was in 
and incestuous relationship with his stepmother. The Samaritan woman, Jesus encounters her. She's not a believer, is she? She is living with a man she's not married to. She's had several husbands. He recognizes the sexual sin in her life, but he doesn't really want to talk that much about it. He certainly doesn't affirm it. He, he acknowledges it. Yeah, I know. You're, he doesn't say it this way, but you're in a fornication-based relationship. But he keeps the main thing the main thing. To her, he says, hey, I want you to know me. I want you to have water that will leave you so you never thirst again. I want you to live. I am the Messiah. You see? That leads to a conversion largely now because he did not focus on the secondary issue. He didn't say, oh, you're living with a man you're not married to. Let's talk about that. That's fornication. Don't you know? What good would that have done? He spoke to the real issue. You're, you don't know me. You need to be brought to life. That's the way we would speak to the homosexual outside of Christ, is that, hey, your homosexuality, yes, it falls short of God's will, but let's talk about three things that are much more important. The claims of Jesus, who he said he is, the promises of Jesus, what he offers, and the requirements of Jesus, you must be born again. Those are the real issues to speak to when someone is a non-Christian and says, I'm gay or I'm lesbian, I'm homosexual. Now, to the person within the, or the person who identifies as Christian, says I'm gay and Christian, you know, then we look more for guidance to uh, the way Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about the man who was identifying as a Christian and was involved in sexual sin. And you notice he got angrier at the church than he seemed to be at the man when he said, you were just sitting there actually patting yourselves on the back because you're so welcoming and affirming, if you put it that way. Uh, this man needs to be disciplined. He needs to repent. He is a believer who is in sexual sin. So Paul said to them in those same chapters, look, I'm, I'm not here to judge the sexual sins of the non-believers, but within the church, this cannot be practiced. It cannot be tolerated. So if he will not repent, you're going to need to discipline him. He needs to be disfellowshipped until he does repent. Now, so to the people who identify as gay and Christian, we would say not come believe in Jesus because they are making a profession of having done that. And I believe in many cases they're like I was. They've, they've backslidden into this sin. What I do think we have to ask them is what Paul asked the Romans. What saith the scripture? What does the word of God really have to say about what you're doing? I don't want to argue over whether or not you're saved or whether or not God loves you. I want to argue as to what scripture has to say about what you're doing with your life. Because you say you're a Christian. As a Christian, your life should be submitted to the word of God. Let's look at what it really has to say about what you're doing. So that's where I think our messaging would be different. To the one who's unsaved, it's that you need to be born again. To the one who is saved, it would be you need to repent of the sin in your life as a Christian. As we close out our discussion, just share what hope you see. As you know, we've, we talked early on about just how the culture and the church are colliding in a sense, and how um, how you know where we're at um, as a as a body of Christ, as a culture. Um, where do you see the hope? You know, um, it reminds me of Corey Ten Boom's autobiography, The Hiding Place, which I think a lot of, of, of people watching will be familiar with. She was a Holocaust survivor who lived in Holland uh, during World War II after the Nazis had, had overtaken her country. And uh, as, as they could see that um, the work they were doing, they were hiding Jews and saving their lives, as they could see that more and more forces were gathering around them. One night they prayed 
And she recorded, and I remember her exact wording when she recorded um, in writing what, what they experienced. She said, once again, we prayed about stopping the work. Once again, we realized we could not. This was evil's hour. We could not run from it. Perhaps only when human effort had tried its best and failed would God's power alone be free to work. Now, I'm seeing that right now in my own work, Kathy. By all rights, I should be out of business because my main work is to help people overcome this sin in my biblical counseling ministry. Why, you'd think when the culture is legitimizing it, I'd be out of business. I'm busier than ever. Because what we're seeing is as dark as it's getting out there, it's forcing more and more people to consider the issue. And we are seeing the remnant saying, I don't care what the culture says, this isn't for me. So the, the hope in all of this is that, and let's really hang on to this. We're not just talking about the right position on homosexuality. We're talking about the word of God. Now, what is the word of God? Well, among other things, it is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That doesn't change. When we speak the word of God in a time of darkness, it's pretty amazing the results we get. So I am discouraged, candidly, with my country. I'm discouraged with a high percentage of what I see. I am encouraged, just a side note, by the pushback we're seeing. Got to tell you, I'd kind of given up. I thought we'd gotten so apathetic, we'd just put up with anything. I think maybe all of this nonsense has gone too far. Once, once the, the movement started targeting the kids, I think even millions of secular parents are rising up saying no. So it, it is encouraging to me. And I mean, come on. I don't know about you. I never in my lifetime thought we would see Roe v. Wade overturned. I did not think that. I had given up on that completely. So, I mean, pretty amazing. There is, in the natural sense, there is some reason to hope because the trends may be going back in a godly direction, but even more important in the eternal sense. I don't want to hang my hope on what happens next year in the presidential election. I don't want to hang my hope on the right people being in Congress. I want that. I'll fight for it. I'll do my part. But ultimately, the kingdom principles don't change no matter who's in power. The word is still alive. And if we will give the word, it will faithfully preach it. In fact, my whole ministry, Cloudfire Ministry, is based on three things. We want to teach people to know the word, live the word, speak the word. Now, we'll just stick to those three. We're going to see good fruit no matter what's happening around us. And that's our hope. And I and that's what tonight, our discussion, we wanted to focus on the biblical approach to human sexuality, not the policy side of it. That we wanted to, you know, because I think we first have to make sure that we are being aligned with God's word and what God's word has to say. And and what what you just shared, perseverance. I mean, when we look at Roe versus Wade being overturned, we persevered for 50 years. We've got a lot of work ahead of us on that front still. Um, and for a long time. And this is another one that we don't give up on God's word. We don't give up on the culture. And, and you're up, again, I just want to emphasize, I encourage people to go to joedallas.com, that this is a ministry worthy of your support, um, some of the best resources. And, and I think it's, I will just um, say, I think it's very um, important that as we deal with these issues, that you know that you have a trusted source for how to um, you know, for how to look at the biblical worldview. And because I think there are a lot of people out there who aren't really standing on God's word. And so the reason why we've had Joe Dallas on this broadcast is because I've seen for years um, his his theology, his um, uh, the apologetics work that he's done in this area, and that Joe Dallas is a trusted resource, and it's joedallas.com. So, Joe, we're grateful for your work, and thank you for your time tonight. 
Thank you for having me. Sure appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Engage Arizona. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform. Don't forget to share with family and friends. And if you would like to learn more, please visit our website at azpolicy.org.